This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Dutton is not someone that's leading the opposition from a position of strength. This is a guy who's lost his left base inside the party. It wasn't his base, but they've lost their left wing. There is a huge risk. He's giving up a lot of political capital by refusing to walk forward with Albanese. Hello, lovely people of podcasts. Welcome to the show. Uh, You are on Australian politics or listening to Australian politics, I should say. And I'm the host, Catherine Murphy. And with me, delightfully, is one of my very, very dear friends, Peter Lewis. Now, uh, this may give a clue to regular listeners, to friends of the pod. This is our first polling episode for the year. Now, if you're uh, a long-time pod listener, you'll be aware that uh, we've done these for a little while. We did a webinar version of this as well as a podcast episode uh, last year, but Peter and I are a bit leaner and meaner, I think, this year. We want to keep it quick, cheerful, fun, and interesting for you. So this is the format we're going to pursue. You'll get one of these bonus steps every fortnight. And so, as I said, Peter Lewis, with uh, who runs Essential Media. Uh, and without further ado, Lovey, I think we can dive in, can't we? Why not? Um, what a high bar. What Make polling fun. <laughs> Um, we'll do what we can. <laughs> well, we will do what we can, exactly. So, look, if you want to actually go and have a look at all of these metric stats associated with the poll, go to essentialreport.com.au. It is laid out there beautifully. You can basically pick up any one of these different questions uh, that we're discussing in the episode and have a look for yourself. So do that uh, while while we're talking or afterwards or whenever you want to. So I'll just throw the obvious opening question, right? So we've done the survey this fortnight. Uh, there, there are a number of questions in it, but we focused on the voice, right? We were we basically wanted to take the temperature of the community on the voice. Just give us the top line picture. How is support for the voice running out there in Voterland? Yeah, so obviously a very noisy summer. Um, while many of us were sleeping, the proponents of the no case from both the left and the right were getting busy. Um, Peter Dutton was out there making a list of um, detailed questions, which um, some believe is against the whole spirit of the enterprise, while the invasion day marches were very loudly um, around some of the themes that obviously Lydia Thorpe has been pursuing around black sovereignty. So, 
For all that, we polled a benchmark question we've been asking since um, August last year. Basically, do you support voice for parliament, yes or no? Has not moved an inch, 65-35. Mm. Um, interesting. I, I thought there was a chance um, the yes case was going to have taken a hit and I, like, I think a lot of the media commentary was that the campaign was in trouble. But in terms of the benchmarks... 65-35, pretty stable. Um, if you're if you're of the female persuasion, you're at 71-29 as opposed to us blokes at 58-42. In terms of voting intention, Labor voters, 77-23 support. Green voters, 89-11, which might help explain some of the party room machinations. And it's really just the coalition of the minor parties where there's more of a split. The coalition, 41% of coalition voters um, are saying they support um, 59 oppose. The only other one that I find really, really interesting, we might talk about a bit later, Catherine, is in terms of the ages. If you're under 34, you support 87 13. If you're over 55, you oppose it 56 44. To me, that yeah. really talks to different lives, different generations lead. Um, if you are under 34, you've grown up acknowledging country and paying respect to elders past, present, emerging. If you're over 55, you, you grew up looking at the Queen. Very different. Yes. We're very different nations within the one nation. I think this is all kind of interesting. Yeah, and the generational split on a bunch of issues is fascinating, not not just this one, but it is really important. So uh, before we sort of drill down on a couple of other things, let's just pick up that point, right, that obviously the bedrock of the Yes campaign at this point is young Australians, right, like for sure. So you referenced a minute ago, uh, Pete, the machinations in the Greens party room, obviously, that's played out this week. Lydia Thorpe has quit the Greens. Uh, she's gone to the crossbench. She wants to sort of head or front a black sovereignty movement. This is how she's characterised it. I wonder uh, what you think about uh, the potential resonance of her messages to young Australians, because to me, right, I, I uh, know the odd young Australian uh, sort of ideal, you know, young people, they're so idealistic, they're politically engaged, they want to change the world, they're also impatient and uncompromising. Do you think that there's much risk uh, that sort of Lydia Thorpe's messaging could split you know, basically a, a lot of young people in Australia are supporting the voice because they want to be good allies, right? Uh, and so if young people hear a message like that, uh, they might wonder if they are being good allies. Like wh what do you reckon about that? Yeah, look, there's something that comes through in a lot of the qualitative research that's been going on, which is that white Australia is uncomfortable if the issue is not, if, if there's division amongst First Nations. And I think there is a danger that Lydia Thorpe becomes and her movement takes away that sense of consensus. But I'd also make the case that not every young voter is a member of the International Socialists or to the left of the Greens. In fact, if they were, then the Greens would have a much higher vote. They've got a high young vote and, like, it's very interesting to look at voting intention across the generations. But I think that the battle for 
what progress looks like and what change looks like about young people is a live event? And is it walking forward to um, set up a process that leads to treaty through voice, um, which is really the, the roadmap laid out by the Uluru Statement from the Heart? Or is it to block this so that nothing happens? And I think while there is a risk, it is largely being cauterised by the separation of thought from the Greens. Mm. But we need to see how this plays out. Um, mm. And again, it does. it is messy in that it is another counter-narrative. Now, some would say it's disinformation that um, setting up a voice will actually push pull Indigenous people back because it takes away their sovereignty. As you've reported, Anthony Albanese's taken legal advice to to kibosh that, but if that's what we're talking about, that's not going to be good for the broader campaign. Um, Mm. The final thing I'll say is that the other point with the noisy summer but the vote not moving and particularly support about young people not moving is that, you know, if you look at all the stats on who consumes media, it's not younger people. So I think a lot of the media noise about problems with the voice is really directed at older people who are already less locked in than they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting point, that. And so that sort of takes us a little bit, I think, in terms of who's locked in and who isn't, into some sort of more interesting... Because we, we asked a question this fortnight, didn't we, where we basically asked respondents to uh you know say whether they were they were for or against the the voice but uh, whether they were strongly for or strongly against or uh, sort of for or sort of against right which sort of sort of allows us to sort of look at those segments obviously that'll be really important and in terms of where the voice campaign is pitching obviously the messages are pitched to the soft no's and the soft yeses, which is about, in our sample, in our in our group, it's about 40% of the survey are either, well, are soft on either, on yeah. either spectrum, right? So let, what let do me, you... What, let me break that down a little bit more for listeners. Yep. We basically asked people not their level of support but whether they thought they were likely to change their mind, whether there was a reasonable, whether they were locked in, reasonable chance they'd change their mind or likely to change their mind. Um 38% of voters say, lock it in, Eddie, I am locked into a voice, there is no chance I'm going to change my mind. 26% say, you know, I could, go, I could still shift. On the no case, so that, that adds up to the 65, 38 and 26 and a margin of error. On the um, no case, 21% are locked in no and 14% are soft no. So mm. if you were trying to say a counter-narrative to mine that the yes campaign is in much better shape than the public debate suggests. It is that there are double the number, mainly because there's double double the number saying yes, there are double the number of soft yes voters as there are soft no voters. But Mm -hmm. all to win, apart from distribution, the yes case just needs to hold on to the majority of those soft voters. They only need to keep half those soft voters in their camp and they get the national majority. Then, of course, they need to win in a majority of the states. If you are the no case, you are looking at that saying, well, we've got a 21% primary vote, but we could, if we get everyone that thinks they are are with us now and they might change stay with us, we get to 35. So then we've got to get half the soft yes as well as holding our soft no. So 
again, the de- degree of difficulty is much higher for the no campaign. Mm. Basically, you would rather be the yes campaign than the no campaign right now. That's sort of what the what the data tells us, yeah? Absolutely. Particularly when you've also got the premiers of every state supporting it, and we know from history that referendums fail when the states don't support it. So... I guess my counterfactual, because uh, this if this is your first ever Australian politics episode, you will not know that uh, our Peter, my established dynamic is he is a positive, upbeat, optimistic person and I am an Eeyore type who worries about all sorts of things. This is our long established dynamic over a long friendship. So Pete's Go back to the archive you... before the um, last election <laughs> when Catherine was still sure that Morrison was going to hold on. Oh, goodness. No, well, it's just, look, it's a bit of a dynamic, I'm afraid, between us. Uh, But Pete's obviously very comfortable with where the whole voice case is going. I suppose I look at these numbers and say, yes, look, the summer, obviously, you know, Peter Dutton ran a soft no campaign throughout the summer and you're right, like we're basically the the support, overall support level 65%, same as it was in August last year. It shifted nothing. But I guess I wonder to what extent people were really tuned in over this summer because, uh, you know, a lot, mm. a lot of people, a lot of people had their first holiday that they've had in three years this summer and would rather have punched themselves repeatedly in the head than listen to anything that any politician was saying to them. So, that, so there's that, right? And the fact that there is a long campaign here that we're not going to actually see the referendum until September, that's one thing I've got in, the, in my mind, I guess. Um, the other thing is, you know, sort of like that dynamic of messiness. The longer the, longer the conversation goes on, uh, the more fragmented it might become in terms of voices. I don't know. I'm just I'm just curious about it. I, I look. I, I agree with your overall diagnostic. You would certainly rather rather be the yes campaign than the no campaign at this point in time. Absolutely. But I just wonder. I guess what's around the corner. But anyway, you and I'll be talking so, yeah, about but this. Can on I just and off maybe maybe on your first point? If this was yeah. climate change polling or over a hot summer even, or um, economic, I'd get that. But the fact there was, we put this in the field straight after January 26, and it was yep. it was noisy. Um, even if you've just come back from holiday, you've come back to noisy, what looks like no protests around the country, plus Alice Springs, plus where's the detail? And it wasn't that there was no purchase on those. Like that was the dominant story for the week before we went in the field and the fact there was Mm. no movement says to me that a lot of people are just going, come on, let's just do it. The second thing is that this, for your thesis to hold, Dutton needs to make the strategic call to lean in over the next six to nine months. And Mm. as I I opined in the column I put up in The Guardian, this week, there is an incredible risk associated to that. This is not someone that's leading the opposition from a position of strength. This is a guy who's lost his left base inside the party. It wasn't his base, but they've lost their left wing. Um, Mm. There are teals. There are more teals lining up. The teals who are 
ex-Liberal voters are all lining up to back invoice. Um, Mm -hmm. He has, in terms of generational analysis, younger voters, the Gen Zs who are just starting to come on the radar, the under-24s, they're more likely to vote Green than Liberal Party now. Like, the... There is a huge cost in being seen to just not engage in goodwill in this debate if it is managed properly. And I've always, Mm. I think we're saying this before Christmas, if the way this lands is through a consensus that we walk forward together and we're not going to be distracted from the noise, the other side, left or right, who want to stop it will be throwing bombs at the centre. But there is a huge risk. He's giving up a lot of political capital by refusing to walk forward with Albanese. Mm, no, I totally agree with that, and that's a beautiful segue, almost like we planned it, love, um, to uh, the the questions in the poll, uh, basically sort of how are the two leaders travelling. So let's just sort of have a look at that. Now, I wanted, before we look at those numbers, uh, and I think there's a couple of things we can draw out of that, particularly with Peter Dutton, but I just want to skip back a fortnight. We don't have to do this in terms of the the precise numbers, but I remember obviously the first poll of the year that I reported, Anthony Albanese, the Prime Minister, had a drop in his approval. Uh, That was a different question to the one we asked this week. I think it was a five-point drop, so it was sort of outside the margin of error. It suggested uh, that the sort of (laughs) <laughs> the kind of point at which the analysis always turns is, is this the end of the honeymoon? The honeymoon right? is over, baby. The honeymoon uh, is over, baby. Isn't that a baby, cruel but... scene? Um, anyway, oh, we've got oh, our theme oh, yeah, music well, now. Exactly. Um, so, yes. But anyway, right, so then roll forward. So, okay, he so had the little forward. So he has a little yeah, roll blip forward. in, and yeah, that was a question blip. around approval of performance. The other Correct. thing, we've been really, we reckon, and it's unfortunate it's been going for so long, that preferred PM is a bit of a rubbish matrix because one of them's PM, the other's just a hypothetical. So we've been trying to think of other ways of showing how the leaders are travelling. And my research director, Gavin White, who's worked for decades on this stuff in Australia and New Zealand, has always used this 10-point rating where you basically rate, get people to rate out of 0 to 10 um, how people feel about it from um, positive to negative on a scale. It's actually 11-point scale, 0 to 10. And then you cluster the seven to tens, the neutrals are four to six, the negatives are zero to three. And it just gives you a better benchmark on how people are responding to the individual rather than trying to imagine what they'd be like in the job. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, yeah perfect. Um, so perfect on that one, Albo's basically where he was, which is 47% rate him as seven out of ten or higher. Um, he's actually dropped a little bit in negative. So that's interesting. So while... Approval of performance has returned to earth a little bit. His personal favourability amongst voters is stable. Um, As for the DART, um, you know, he's 35% net negative, zero to three, and that's gone up a little bit over the summer. And his positive's gone down to 26. So... Well, let's let's just like stick a pit in this for two secs and just think about it, right? You know, because that's sort of the point I wanted to kind of lay out. It's not so much the head-to-head thing, which is interesting, but just looking at Peter Dutton as an opposition leader, like a couple of things strike me in our data about Peter Dutton as opposition leader. One is that pretty much everyone in the country knows who he is, right, which yeah. is unusual. Like for opposition leaders... 
often, I mean, think about those long run of polls that we did where I can't remember, like 25% of the sample was saying routinely about Albanese. Oh. Well, not who, not who is he, but I haven't really got a sense of 30, who this 30, guy is. 30, 30, you know? Right? It was, yeah, like it was just yeah. constant. It, like, God, like for three years, right? Um, but in terms of Dutton, everybody, everybody knows who he is. Uh, like I think the percentage in that uh, like sort of attributes or approval thing was, you know, like there's like the, the, the proportion of who who's never heard of you was I think like 1% or something. It was like. Never was heard no, of 2%. Yes. 2%. There you go, right? So everyone knows who he is. So he's very, he's a very fixed character, right? At least in the sort of consciousness of voters. And so, like, just as our final thought in this episode, like, let's pull that back to the voice, right? So the thing about um, I sort of see where Dutton's head's at with the voice and his general positioning in terms of the sort of, let's just call it reheat Tony Abbott, microwave Tony Abbott, right? I can see where his head's going. Cost of living pressure is acute. Uh, you know, people are stressed out. Uh, he wants to kind of ramp up that, you know, Labor is responsible for everything point. And if he's going to go full no on the voice, then he'll lean into that, you know, the sort of a associated critiques of that quite heavily. I don't know if he'll go full no. I mean, it's kind of crazy if he does. But anyway, it's possible he does, right? But yet it's really funny, isn't it, Pete? Like, and you may feel a bit differently to me, but I see this whole voice thing as a real opportunity that if you're the, the opposition leader that everybody in the country knows and has a view about and your negatives are as high as him, like the unifying moment would have enormous utility for Peter Dutton as a putative prime minister. So uh, it's sort of, what do you reckon about that? Three quick things. One is I do think that he is so torn by his weakened and fractured party then it's going to be very hard for him to take a position on anything. But the easiest thing to do to please the Greek chorus that surrounds the Liberal Party on other media outlets is to opt to stand in the way, either explicitly saying no or playing the spoiling role he is now. The second thing I'd say is that I did a little bit of history checking, i.e. Google, and I was looking for the last... <laughs> Opposition leader who led a party from government loss back into government, and I couldn't find one in the. It mm. might be in those little early sort of revolving door in early federation, but at least back before Joseph Lyons, like it's it's over a hundred years since anyone that's in Dutton's job has succeeded in finding their way into power. So let's. It is the worst job in politics being a first term opposition leader. But finally, mm -hmm. I'd say if there was a pathway, it would be, as you say, improve your net positives by walking side by side with mainstream Australia and then hammer Labor on cost of living and say this, <laughs> you know, that he is actually turning this into the totemic political battle and Albanese is offered him bipartisanship. He could have joint ownership of that and then be in a much stronger position to hammer Labor on cost of living, but they've chosen not to do that. So mm -hmm. as I finish my column, I think he is now in the position that he's going to lose whatever way the referendum goes. If they win, he's dealt himself out of a really unifying moment, and if it does go down, he's the architect of a really unfortunate moment in our history and he will pay a massive political price. 
Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And look, to be clear, the Liberal Party hasn't taken a position on this yet. Interestingly, uh, Peter Dutton, in a couple of interviews he did today, was trying to sound a bit more conciliatory. He was trying to say, oh, you know, I want this to be bipartisan if only these terrible people would answer my questions. So, so, so But the asking that. of the questions is the negative campaign because it breaks it. It No, no, of course. I mean, it's like it's the summer of soft no. This is, you know, this is what this has been, the summer of soft no, right? So, but anyway, just factually, um, they haven't they haven't taken a position yet. The Nationals have. The Nationals are no, although funnily enough, David Littleproud says they're not going to actually campaign no, they just say no. Uh, Peter Dutton is... <laughs> it's a modern uh, political yet, campaign. <laughs> well, imagine that. Uh, but anyway, Peter Dutton is, uh, is yet to uh, resolve the Liberal Party's position. So, look, maybe the unifying moment comes, Pete. You never know your luck, although that's not where the smart money is at this point in time. But anyway, we must go because, uh, like I said, we're trying with these apps to be lean and mean, which is always difficult when Peter and I start talking. But anyway, we have nailed it this week. We are on time. So uh, thank you for that. Thank you for your time. Just a reminder again, guys, obviously I produce a news report every fortnight about what the poll says, which you can find on Guardian Australia. Pete also writes a column for us every fortnight, which gives his impressions or thoughts or musical metaphors associated with the data. It's a must read. Obviously, wrap your eyeballs around that if you haven't as yet and and just sort of bookmark that, make that a habit in your fortnight that you go and consume all those things. Thank you muchly to the lovely Karishma Luthria, who is uh, producing these episodes. God love her. Thank you to the listeners, etc. You know where we are you want to get in touch, uh, I'll be back again with you all on Saturday. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.